Please turn with me to Hosea chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. You can also follow along on page 7 of your bulletin. The Lord said to me, Go, show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethek of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will live with you. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or idol. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. This is the word of the Lord. It's a gloomy Sunday, and we're somewhat looking through a somewhat gloomy passage. And yet, beyond what we just read, in the story of Hosea and Gomer, we see a light of hope, a promise that we can cling on to and trust in. And so for those of you who don't know me, my name is Josh. I'm serving as one of the pastors here at Metro Church. I'm incredibly grateful to be able to share from God's word today. It's, it's something that I really do see as an honor and a privilege. You know, our pastors here at Metro are some of my favorite preachers, and I get to regularly um, listen and worship and be encouraged and edified regularly on a Sunday basis. And so uh, if you are new or if you're joining us for the first time, please take the opportunity to listen back to some of our sermons that we've been preaching throughout the year. We're continuing our sermon series on God's presence in our brokenness, and we really see how God has worked all throughout the Old Testament to bring about redemption, salvation for his people. And today is no different. Today we're going to dive deep into the book of Hosea, chapter 3, where we see themes of adultery and infidelity, unfaithfulness, but we also see suffering and, and love and kindness and mercy and redemption. And we see God's relationship all throughout the whole Bible, and we see illustrations that describe God as uh, our king and us, as our ser- and us being servants. We see our relationship with God as creator and creation. We see God as our shepherd and leading us as sheep. But today, I would like to say that Hosea 3 talks about the most precious heart of who God is and how he relates to his people. And the description is given as husband and wife, union with one another, marriage, a covenant that God has made with his people. And we're going to see that through the story between Hosea and Gomer. Recently, I've had the privilege of, of attending weddings. And, you know, it's, it's really a, a whole beautiful occasion, especially when you're going to weddings of family members and friends. And uh, one of the things that always captures my time at weddings is uh, the moment the bride is walking down that aisle. Because everybody stands up and they gaze on the bride that's walking down. The bride spent a lot of money and a lot of time to, to look beautiful in that moment. We have parents that pull out their cell phones and start taking pictures so they could share them with their friends. 
And everybody in that audience is gazing in that moment, looking at that beautiful bride, and they're all in awe. But the reality is, while everybody is gazing and beholding on the beauty, the one person in that room, the husband, the groom, he's gazing at his beautiful bride. He's looking at her, and he's saying, she is mine. And we have to realize that this is how God looks at us. That when he sees us, he sees his bride coming down that aisle in all of her beauty. And her beauty comes from his beauty. And so today we're going to look at the story of Hosea and Gomer. And we're going to look at three points. We're going to look at the prophet, the, the pursuit, and the promise of God. So the prophet, the pursuit, and the promise of God. First, the prophet. Hosea is called as a prophet of God, and during this time, in, in Hosea's time, he's called to, to preach against the sin and the, the idol worship of Israel. But here in, in chapter 3, uh, we, we come to a point where uh, Hosea is being told by God to go again to marry his wife and get back his wife, Hosea. In, Ho in Hosea chapter 1, Hosea is initially called to marry Gomer, and Gomer is described as a prostitute, a woman who committed adultery, who, had, who was loved by other men. And so we have to imagine what Hosea is thinking from the beginning of this book. He must have been saying, God, I am your prophet. I am your representative. I am the one who is your mouthpiece speaking against the sin of Israel, and you want me to marry a prostitute? Why? What good can come from that? So Hosea marries Gomer. They have children. And Hosea, just as described all throughout the book, or excuse me, Gomer, just as described throughout the, bro the book, commits adultery against Hosea. And here in chapter 3, Hosea is lost. He doesn't have his wife. She has gone to another man. And God calls on Hosea once again and says, get her back. Go and get your married wife back from that other man. For you see, Hosea, although you're my prophet, although you're speaking my message, more than anything else, I want you to know me. I want you to know my pain. I want you to know my suffering. Before you can preach my message, I want you to practice my grace. And so he's saying to Hosea, go back, go and get Gomer. You want to be my representative? You want to speak about me? You want to speak about my judgment and my grace and my mercy? Then I need you to demonstrate that yourself. Hosea, you have a wife that cheated on you, but I have a people that have cheated on me. And so Hosea is in deep pain and in deep anguish. The reality is, as a prophet, you would think he's a good man. And Hosea is the good guy in this story. And so one of the things that is difficult and challenging for us here in Hosea is that just because you have a relationship with God or you've been called by God doesn't mean that you won't go through suffering in your life. In fact, sometimes you endure pain, you endure suffering, you endure tragedy so you can know God even better. 
you know, one of the, the arguments that many people have is if God truly existed and at the same time, if he's truly good, if he's truly loving, then why do we endure suffering? But it's precisely because we endure suffering that we know that God is real. It's because we, we go through pain and hardship and difficulties and suffer through life that we know that God is real because God suffers. God has a heart. It's a way that we can learn new and different dimensions about who God is. And so God calls Hosea to, to endure this suffering, endure this hardship, and endure this pain. Because knowing God means that you know suffering. And so Hosea is called to, to take back his wife, Gomer. And it says that God had told him to love her, love her as the Lord loves is the Israelites, though they love other gods and sacred raisin cakes. Now, it took me a little bit of time to really uh, understand what a sacred raisin cake is. But when we see that all throughout the Old Testament, we see raisin cakes displayed during festivals and idol worship and really in celebration and victory. What God is saying to Hosea here is, your wife Gomer has left you for another man. And just in the same way, my people that I've saved, that I've forgiven, that I've been with all throughout history has done the same to me. And so God doesn't just want Hosea to speak against the sin and against the idols of the Israelites. He wants him to realize the type of heartache that God is experiencing in this moment. God has a heart. God loves and cares for his people, and yet his people have turned away. We have to understand in the context of Hosea's time, they were somewhat in a golden rule of age. You know, we've heard throughout the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, the Israelites being taken and enslaved by Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And then we see them sent out into exile, into the desert, as they try to go travel back to the, uh, their land. And we see all throughout the book of, of kings and judges, wars and battles and times where uh, Israel were taken over by neighboring enemies. But this is not the case in Hosea. They're living wealthy. They have prosperity. They're living in a golden age of their life. It's tax return season for them. They got some options and some money and some finances. They have some potential of, of building their lives and building their wealth. And although that they were worshiping in temples and synagogues and they were still making sacrifices to God, God was very much on the periphery of their lives. You see, what they were truly centered and motivated by, what they were driven by, what they loved more than God himself is themselves. It was their wealth. It was their family. It was their rest. It was the things that they enjoyed in life that was more important to them than God himself. Because although they were worshiping God at temples and synagogues and still making sacrifices, practicing the Sabbath, on the side, they had a side chick, and they were worshiping idols. And so Hosea is saying here, you people are a dirty people. 
you people act like you love God, but you have another love in your life. The reality is we live in a very similar time today. You see, a lot of us are a part of a church. We're a part of a community, but we look more like the world than we do Jesus. Jesus has become more of an inconvenience to our lives than a personal savior. The reality is we're so driven by the things that bring us a sense of comfort in any given moment, whether it's in our careers, building our wealth, building a status, trying to make a name for ourselves. And so God is not primary in our lives. He's barely secondary in it. And oftentimes when we're going through suffering, we play where's Waldo with God. We open up the page and he's actually there. But we're so distracted and focused on all the other things that are surrounding him. We're constantly focused and prioritizing creative, created things in our life in order to bring us a sense of significance, a sense of joy, a sense of peace, and a sense of satisfaction. This is what was going on with the Israelites during the time of Hosea. And he's preaching against their sin. But he's not only preaching against their sin, he's understanding the suffering that God is enduring. We have to understand that when we get married, Hosea marries Gomer in chapter 1. And then Gomer cheats on Hosea. She sells herself. She's gotten to the lowest point of her life where at at the middle of this chapter, she has to be bought back in order to be redeemed. We have to understand that marriage is a holy matrimony. It's a covenant made between man and woman. And it's made to really reflect our relationship with God. And so there's a, a union and a harmony that takes place. And in that union and in that harmony, you become intimate. You become personal. You know that other person. When you get married, you take on a person's debt. When you get married, you take on their personal problems. When you get married, you take on that other person's brokenness. But at the same time, when you get married to a person, you take on their wealth. You take on their gifts and their talents. The things that bring joy in their lives bring you joy in their lives. There's a deep connection that occurs in marriage. And yet, the reality is, our marriages are broken. Our marriages are broken. Our relationships are broken. And we see that clearly here in Hosea 3. We're constantly going after what our hearts desires. And here, Gomer is pursuing a sense of intimacy, even though she has it with Hosea. The grass is always greener for her. She's always looking for something better, something that will make her whole, something that will fulfill her soul. She's described as a woman who loved jewelry and fancy robes, and those were just instruments used to attract other men. But she was married this entire time, and yet that wasn't good enough for her. This leads us to our second point, the pursuit. This passage isn't to demonize Gomer. It's not to demonize women who feel like they can relate with Gomer. 
This passage reveals something about us, who we are, that we aren't like Gomer, we are Gomer. This passage also teaches us that like Gomer, we can be redeemed. You see, Gomer is pursuing intimacy. Hosea's wife, Gomer, has completely unraveled up to this point in chapter 3. And we're first introduced to Gomer in chapter 1 of Hosea. And she's described as an adulterous wife. Uh, Gomer was not the type of woman that uh, you would want to bring to your mom's house. And yet Hosea was called to bring Gomer into the house of the Lord. And he is very much obeying God's command, even though every part of him probably didn't want to. It was because Gomer's pursuit of intimacy... Her, her desire to be loved and valued in a way that she wanted to, she ended up cheating on her husband. And by the end of this chapter, she's actually alone and being sold as property. You know, one thing that we learn about our sin and the things that we are pursuing is it ultimately leaves us in naked, nakedness and shame and leaves us empty and void. See, we think that the things that we pursue are actually making us more human, the things that bring us joy and a sense of value and a sense of worth. But in reality, in our pursuit of these things, it actually is taking away from our humanity. In Genesis 1 and 2, God creates man in his own image. He's called to reflect his goodness, his character, his love, his dominion over created things. And we're called to, to rule over these things and be in relationship with one another, be in harmony with one another. And yet, at the fall in Genesis 3, all of that shattered. Our calling had shattered. Our image had shattered. Our lives had shattered. And we're all trying to pick the pieces back up. And we think that if we find the right career or if we find the right person to love, if we're like Gomer and try to find intimacy in all the wrong places, one day we will be made whole again. But the reality is, just like Gomer, in our pursuit of all these things, we all unravel and fall apart. This is the heart and at the root of our anxiety and our fear, our disappointments, our letdown, our sadness, our suffering. The very things that we're pursuing that we think are making us more human are actually dehumanizing us to the point where Gomer was pursuing intimacy and objectifying herself only to be sold as an object. Our pursuit will always leave us empty inside and we'll always feel nakedness and shame when we are disappointed when we don't achieve the things that we want, when we compare ourselves to others and see that there are always somebody else that, that's better than us, that's more successful than us, that uh, is able to do the things and be the person that we want to be. I was, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat of a social media addict and so, I'll be on uh, Facebook and Instagram, and, and earlier this week, um, I, I saw a, a great post by my friend, and, and uh, you know, he kind of listed out all the reasons um, and excuses we make for not going to church. You know, we'll, we'll say something like, hey, today's sermon isn't going to be convicting because the assistant pastor is preaching today. <laughs> um, 
we'll say, hey, it's been a really hard week. Uh, work has been super stressful. And, you know, I just need a break. I need, a, I need some rest. And so I'm going to stay home from church on Sunday. Or for those of us who have kids, uh, you know, they're, they're acting all crazy throughout the week. And, you know, they're finally settling down. And you find an opportunity in a moment where you think you can find peace on a Sunday. And so you'd rather just stay home or go to a playground or go to a park and miss church. Uh, another thing that we do is we plan our vacations around the weekends because we're more willing to miss church than take our PTO days off of work. God is very much in the periphery of our lives because we're so driven by all these other things that are actually good things, and yet they're not more important than who God is. This is how we function, and this is how we roll in life. We're more infatuated and captured by the things that God and our idols can give us rather than God himself. And this is the problem here. Hosea isn't redeeming Gomer because he's, he's just so in love and he wants to get his wife back. He's actually doing it because that's what God called him to do. He's doing something challenging and difficult, something that he can't muster up himself because he knows that it would honor God. It was a command and a calling by God. Some of us have been in tremendously broken relationships. And you could read this text and you could say, well, you see, God had called Hosea to be back with his cheating wife. And so although I've been betrayed and I've been cheated on, I should just go back to this person just like Hosea did. That is not the right counsel from this text. Some of us have experienced tremendous hurt, maybe even abuse, tremendous suffering in life from the people that we are closest to. And you're still figuring out how is God working through my brokenness and my suffering and, and my experience. And God is saying that my presence is in the brokenness. My restorative power is in your broken experience. You can trust that. You can trust me. There was a tremendous cost for both Hosea and Gomer in this story. For Gomer, she is most likely put on an auctioning block in the middle of the town on a marketplace. And she's stripped naked, completely feeling abandoned. The man that she cheated with isn't present in this story. So she's alone, she's naked, she's for sale. And so there's a tremendous type of suffering that even Gomer is experiencing in this moment. There's so much shame that she probably is feeling and so many thoughts that are running through her mind. She's probably thinking, or could be thinking, why did I do this? Why did I cheat on my husband? Why did I fall into the sin that I knew that I was prone to? She could also be thinking, if he would take me back, then I would change. In fact, I'm going to try to get my act together as soon as I can. And if I get my act together, then maybe my husband will take me back. Friends, the reality is that God doesn't just wait for you to get your stuff together in order for him to be in a relationship with you. 
He's not going to wait for you to clean up your act in order for him to love you. He's not looking to improve your character. He's looking to make you new. There was a great cost for Hosea. Here it said that he spent 15 shekels and a ton of barley in order to buy back Gomer. And if you were to translate that, um, my translation says it was a lot of money. It was a lot of money. It was enough to purchase a slave. And so that reality that Gomer had become from a wife to a prostitute to now a piece of property is eye-opening. And she was just doing what she wanted to do, and she ended up being for sale. And Hosea didn't just have to pay a financial cost. He had to pay an emotional cost. He had to pay a soulful cost. He had to pay a mental cost. He had to pay a reputational cost. He had to pay a relational cost. It was all of the above. And yet, what does Hosea do? He buys her. He pays what needs to be paid. He redeems his wife, even though she was undeserving. And he didn't say, Gomer, I want you to get your act together right now. Prove to me that you will not be an adulteress, and after some time, then I will buy you back. No. He makes this purchase. He uses the money. He takes the hit. He forgives, and he redeems. This leads us to my third point. After Hosea gets back Gomer, he embraces his wife. Most likely she was on the auctioning block naked and ashamed. And so if we were to imagine this story and see what Hosea had did in this moment, most likely he took off his robes and he covered his naked wife. And he embraced Gomer. And what he actually does is, is he re-covenants with her. He promises that he will love her. He says, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will live with you. Although it was hard for Hosea, although it was painful for him, he was fully committed to Gomer. He wants to be intimate with her, and he says to her, I will live with you. He's being personal and intimate. At the same time, he's being tender and gentle. Gomer knows that she broke his heart. And yet when she sees her husband running through the crowds to take off his clothes only to cover her, imagine the sense of peace and relief she felt in that moment. She had just cheated on her husband, committed adultery, prostituted, lost everything and her possessions. Most likely she thought that all hope was lost. Who would ever want me, a lying, cheating prostitute? And Hosea says, I do. There is a, a challenging part of this text that we have to dive into. It says that Hosea says to Gomer, you are to live with me many days and you must be a prostitute or be in, 
or not be intimate with any man, and I will live with you. You know, some biblical scholars say um, Hosea was, was telling Gomer, you're not to be intimate with any other man but me. Uh, but that's not really what the text says. The text actually says you are not to be with any man, including himself. And so although Hosea had redeemed Gomer, although he was living with Gomer, the reality is there was a consequence to their brokenness. And friends, we have to realize that there are consequences to our sin. That in our relational brokenness that exists here today, probably even in this room, there are consequences to the brokenness and the sin that we commit against one another. There is going to be a period where restoration takes place over time. Time itself will never heal anything. But it's that commitment of work. Those of you who are married, you know this. Marriage is going to take time. It's going to take commitment and sacrifices. It's going to take moments where you say very hard things. It's going to be uh, moments where you have to listen to hard things. It's going to be moments where you have to give up your ego and the things that you want for yourself and actually look to seek the advancement of your spouse. It's a, it's a dance and it's a cadence all throughout life where we're constantly being restored and we're constantly committed to the brokenness that exists. And, and this is a clear picture of our relationship with God. That although he redeems us, there is still sin and brokenness that exists in our life today. In fact, at the end of chapter 3 and verse 5, God says to Hosea, he says, for the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or idol. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. Isn't David dead up in this point? You know, Hosea takes place years after David had died. And so what is God saying to Hosea? He's saying there's going to be a period of time where they'll have no rulers, that they'll feel deserted, that they won't have this, the, the satisfactions of idols. There's going to be a period where they're going to be empty and feeling void and dry. But I'm going to send a king, David. Now, we have to remember David was viewed as Israel's uh, most greatest king up to this point. And what God is saying is that Israel will seek for their Lord, their God, and they'll seek a great king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to all his blessings in the last days. David, their king. We have to understand that the story of Hosea reveals the unfolding mystery of who God is. Even though we ourselves have committed adultery and continue to commit adultery against God, continue to prostitute ourselves and sell ourselves to lesser gods and idols in our lives, God still sends us a great king so that we can be redeemed. We have to understand that we have a great redeemer, a greater prophet, a greater Hosea, a greater king, and a greater David. We have a true prophet in Jesus Christ who not only preached about God's judgment, but took on God's judgment. We have a true king who came down to earth, not to rule over the world, but to serve us, sinners who were undeserving. 
God the Father sent his perfect son so that he would pay the ultimate cost of, of his life so that in him we would be redeemed. We have to look at Jesus Christ who, who had to pay a costly price in order for us to be saved. Who got on the cross and was nailed naked and put to shame so that we could be covered in his righteousness. A greater prophet who not only suffered betrayal, but took on the punishment of betrayal. A greater king, greater than David, who didn't just rule over a kingdom, but he died for it. Look to Jesus. He paid the ultimate price of the cross. He took on the ultimate pain and the ultimate suffering so that he could have you, his bride. We can now behold the cross, knowing that when Jesus took on our suffering for our sins, that he beheld you. On the cross, Jesus displayed the ultimate act of love by being stripped naked and nailed to a tree. On the cross, Jesus lost the perfect love and intimacy from God the Father so that you could find love and intimacy with the Father. On the cross, Jesus paid the ultimate penalty of, for our sin so that by faith in him, we can be covered in his righteousness. On the cross, Jesus gave up his life for his bride, you, us, the church. Trust in Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. He is more than worth it. Stop treating Jesus as if he's an inconvenience and surrender your life to the Savior. We have to understand that to the degree that we have faith in Christ and his saving work on the cross, we are in union with Jesus. He looks at us and he sees his bride and she is beautiful, not because of anything that you have done, but because what you are covered in. We are covered in his righteousness. And so when God the Father looks at a sinner who's been saved in Christ, he sees his son, his perfect son. And he delights in the finished work that his son has completed. You see, in our union with Christ, his suffering is our suffering. At the same time, our suffering is his. His resurrection power is our resurrection power. His intimacy that he had with God the Father is our intimacy. His righteousness is now imputed onto us. Now we are made righteous. Although we might feel the naked and the shame that comes from our guilt and our sin, from our brokenness, from our suffering, from the things that we've done wrong, from the mistakes that we've made in life, from the things that have done, been done wrong to us, we can trust in something greater than just our past, our present, our future. We can trust in the finished work of Jesus. In Christ, we're now able to do the hard things that we're called to do. Hosea definitely, probably, didn't want to redeem Gomer. In fact, he could have came to God and said, I told you. I told you. I knew this would happen. And you want me to go back and get her again? But he doesn't, even though it was hard. That when we have a sufficient Savior in Jesus, we can do the challenging and difficult things that we don't naturally want to do. Friends, God didn't send Jesus so that he could improve your life. He sent you Jesus so that you can be born again, that you could be a brand new person. 
in Christ, we can endure suffering. We can endure suffering and we can speak truth in our suffering. That even when our circumstances aren't so hot, even though we're enduring hardships and challenges in our life, we're able to speak truth not only to one another, but to ourselves. And we're able to listen. Remember, Hosea went through this suffering so that he can relate with God. But for the rest of the book of Hosea, in the remaining chapters, he's speaking against the sin of Israel, sharing the judgment that they were going to receive, but also sharing the love that was available to them. Friends, in Christ, we can put our longing of intimacy and love in all the right places. Many of us here are single, and one of the main things that are driving our concern and disgruntledness and our dismay in life is the fact that we're single. And many of us are very much driven, and our decisions are being made based on the fact that we want to find love and we want to find intimacy. We want to be known and we want to be seen by somebody. Friends, the reality is you are known. You are seen. And you have a greater love that is greater than anything else you can find in this world. And because that is yours, you're able to put that desire for intimacy in the right place. If we walk around feeling guilt and shame because of all the sin that we've committed, all the sin that we continue to commit today, if we feel naked, if we feel uh, less human, understand that the righteousness of Jesus covers all of that. It covers it all. There's not a single stain that God cannot blot out with the blood of Jesus. Will you trust that? Will that bring you comfort? knowing that there's nothing that you have to do except gaze and behold. Let's pray.